This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for uh, being with uh, us on the program today. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, as we hang out, a, a busy day on the show. Always, Ramya. Absolutely. When isn't it busy? And, you know, there's so much things, so many things to look forward to on today's show. Um, what's we're discussing? Yeah, I was just going to say we are having a, quite a bit of a talk of, of late when it comes to tech and so much about uh, Apple and everything going on with it, especially with the new release. It's really exciting and a lot of fun, actually, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, because we're fresh off an iOS update, there's a lot to discuss because some of us, some of us have updated, some of us haven't, and others, I think, are actually experiencing kind of this gray area where their devices are too old to reap the benefits of an update. So, um, yeah, um, there's a lot going on. How nervous are you when it comes to updates? I used to be more nervous. Nowadays, I'll just do it, but, you know, get in the headspace of, oh, it's going to be glitchy for a while and buggy and annoying. Did you, did you at first, like, really wait because of what everybody's stomping at first to download that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? You, you were that person yeah. that kind of, oh, I better Because, you it. know, right, as, as people who use access features all over our uh, devices, it's hard as it is, let alone if your voiceover isn't acting normally or your Zoom doesn't work anymore or this app and that app is glitching and uh, people haven't updated, developers haven't updated their own apps to keep supporting the updates. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a long process. It's not as simple as just update and go. I used to always feel so sorry for people who are really frightened of messing around with technology. Oh, I'm going to break it. I better not do it. And, and, you know, you really felt that way. And then you'd sometimes stop and think, well, I don't want to be that person that ends up doing it because I'm telling everybody, don't be so afraid. Oh, come on. And if mm. something goes wrong, well, what you said, never mind what I said. Don't listen to me. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to have to explain it away. But then unfortunately, it happens. And I think what we needed to learn is it's okay. It's not going to hurt you. It it may mess up your phone a little bit, but there's always ways hopefully. to adjust. Yeah. And, and I think the hopefully part is uh, mess up your phone a little bit only. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not for too long. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what's coming up today here on Kelly and Company. Gardener Susan Kearney is going to share interesting facts on the flower industry's role around Thanksgiving. I'm very curious about that. This Saturday, there's a formal ceremony to initiate the first Cadet Week in Ontario, and we're going to learn more about the special week. We're also going to talk a little bit more about special day, folks. September 30th marks the uh, second national day for truth and uh, reconciliation. The day honors the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families, and communities. We learn more about this day with Brenda Gunn, Academic and Research Director at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation. We'll have that conversation with Brenda in Hour 2 right here on Kelly and Company. Okay. Various brands of oysters, folks, being recalled by Oyster King, Inc. 
Uh, they're being recalled due to salmonella. So definitely, if you have that product, you want to dispose of that. This is a general public audience uh, that this recall out to us. Uh, that also includes hotels, restaurants, and institutions. So please, if you have those oysters, you want to uh, you want to dispose of them and certainly not eat them. Well, we dealt all week, it feels like, with effects, and those effects come all the way out here uh, across our country, basically across North America, because we all have people out there we're concerned about as hurricanes have have hit the continent uh, a couple of times. Hundreds of hospital patients are being evacuated from hospital facilities across the Fort Myers region in Florida. We're in the process of evacuating two health care facilities to safer locations north. Governor Ron DeSantis in his morning briefing. Hospitals have been hit by three main issues, power outages, floodwaters, and one large health system. Without water in all of their facilities. Florida Hospital Association President Mary Mayhew says that system's fast approaching a point where they will not be able to safely take care of their patients. At least nine hospitals affected and 1,200 patients being evacuated. Meantime, the Florida Healthcare Association says about 3,400 residents have been moved from more than 40 nursing homes. I'm Ben Thomas. Wow. Um, it's so scary, isn't it, as to what's been going on when when you talk about these hurricanes, the experiences. And, and you know, I, I sit back and say, well, a lot of people who lived in Nova Scotia, uh, in our, our provinces out there being so affected, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, and PEI, have felt far more effects of hurricanes than, than those of us in Ontario and, and, and out this way. They've lived through that. They know how to have things stocked and ready to go. But no matter what, whether you're talking um, our eastern provinces or Florida, Rami, I don't know how one, especially as these storms change, there's no storm that's the same. You could have one a year that you have to deal with. Every storm is always different. I always consider the exhaustion, you know, the the kinds of work that it takes to repair, recuperate, um, readjust the, the people, the infrastructure, um, and and just all the kinds of work that has to happen afterwards. And especially as you're saying, in places where it's normal, right? It's it's almost regular, not necessarily, um, but it happens, it's expected. And, and then you think like, but you got to keep doing it. You got to keep going over the same stuff, uh, make sure that everyone and everything is safe and then uh, deal with the after effects. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot, Kelly. Well, and you look at the costs, and I've been you know noticing, and we we were talking about the costs here in Canada because a new climate report uh, says that um, that Canadians will see more uh, lower incomes and a choice between higher taxes or fewer government services uh, as we try to adapt to this ever changing climate ahead of us. The Canadian Climate Institute says its analysis of the costs of a changing climate suggests severe weather will cost $5 billion a year in direct damages, and that's by 2025. It'll be $17 billion by 2050. Those figures balloon when you add in economic losses, when severe weather forces businesses to close, washed-out roads and railways disrupt supply chains, or extreme heat curbs productivity. The report suggests that by 2025, severe weather will take a $25 billion bite out of the economy and between 78 and $101 billion by 2050. Rob Westgate, The Canadian Press. So they're saying in Florida they have the foods and, and things to help people out. 
But it's that time run. It's the flooding, the damage, the the toll on insurance companies, the building uh, of, of things or rebuilding of things that people need and services and just the functioning without electricity. All those things, no matter how much you can say, okay, every time there's a storm, we know this is going to have to happen. We'll have all the supplies we need. We'll be as prepared as possible. How can you be prepared? And not every storm I know hits the same area, but boy, is it frightening. Wow. Mm. Michael Fair is up next, ladies and gentlemen, and he's going to be tackling those early problems and changes with the latest version of iOS. Keep these things in mind as you update your phones. We'll talk to him in a moment. to reach out to the program it's simple enough to do ladies and gentlemen first you can follow along on twitter at ami audio you can send Ramya uh, a message out there as well if you'd like uh, she's at all rams with a z i'm at ami kelly mac but to keep up with what's happening on the program just keep that handle in mind at ami audio let you know what's happening on our show and to help you interact with the others feedback at ami.ca that's the correct email if you just have a question about ami tele ami audio or ami tv feedback at ami.ca way to do that and or call us 1-866-509-4545 mention that your message is for kelly and company and if you would give us permission to use your message on air 1-866-509-4545 is the easiest way to do that i'm kelly mcdonald with Ramya muthan normally after a big big update announcement from uh, our friends over at apple Mike would take us on, Michael Fair would take us on a tour of the new features and the latest, you know, um, iOS additions. But things are taking a bit of a twist. So let's bring him on and find out why. Hi, I'm Mike Fair. iPhones, iPods, and iPads are everywhere, and they're doing great things for the blind. We explore all that, plus audio entertainment, dramas, podcasts, internet radio, and games. We share it all on Kelly and Company. This year, Mike, you've chosen a little bit of a different approach uh, to the way that you would run this segment in due course usually uh, because we're going to take a look at some early problems and changes which might inconvenience some users of voiceover and other things. Um, And I think that that's important. We have highlighted a lot of the new things to look forward to in iOS, but this is a good step in the right direction. So what's different about iOS 16 that's being rolled out this year? Well, one of the big things is not all features are here on launch. This is something we've seen sort of creep into like uh, into uh, more and more features that are just delayed but after launch and you get them sort of trickled out. So right now we don't have the complete set of features that were advertised. And uh, so we'll be waiting for for some of those as they're obviously needed to to be perfected and tuned and things like that. Uh, So they'll come in future releases. And that we saw in last in iOS 15. I mean, that took until near the end of the cycle before we got everything Mm -hmm. uh, fully there. And I think we're in for that again uh, this year. Uh, So that's a trend. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is there's more fragmentation 
because you got different devices with different capabilities. You've got some features only available on some devices. So that's going to throw people too. Uh, for, for a lot of features, you need an I, uh, A12 chip, and that's um, in the iPhone 10 R, 10S, nothing older than that, uh, because th then you don't have the right chip and you're not going to be able to access all the artificial intelligence that some of these features need. Uh, some features are only available to the pros, the latest iPhone pros, which have the A16 chip. So there's that too. And that includes uh, the accessibility chime. So uh, that I think is the, the regular 14s might also get that, but that's the extent of everything else is, is needs LiDAR. So for a lot of things, you're going to need the pro to get the best results. So it really fragments the experience for people. Mm. We were talking at the top of the show about the days of being so afraid to update and how people said, no, no, I'll wait. I'll let Mike do it first. And if he survives yeah. it, then I'll do it and everything like that. And, and I, I, you sometimes get worried when you get an update like this. Is that going to push some of us back to doing it? Or as soon as we start hearing this, when we do a segment like this and, you know, Mike, a lot of time it, it, it we can manage it. We oh, and and we know now with confidence somebody's telling them or somebody's already found it. They're already working on whatever we find. So, how serious are some of the early problems people have experienced after the update? Well, the most serious one uh, for the first little while was that some blind people would update and VoiceOver wouldn't restart, and they'd have to get sighted help to unlock their phones after updating before they could start voiceover again. So that was pretty major. Uh, <laughs> that would rattle you for sure. And, uh, you know, it, and hopefully you have cited help available or you, you were kind of stuck. Uh, so there, that was easily the most serious one. The other thing that really could impact us as well were, were cameras. Um, the camera would vibrate in the latest iPhone Pros and uh, so you go to take a picture with this fancy new camera and it would be blurry because the camera was vibrating too much, <laughs> you know, and they had to fix that. And that's still be, uh, kind of being dealt with. I think that, uh, now the 16.0.2 patch, uh, that, that's the latest update uh, so far, uh, these, the, these two major problems are now addressed. So if you update to that, you should be in the clear for, for, from those dangers. Uh, but it, there are all kinds of little things like that, um, you know. So, so that's those are two major ones to uh, to keep in mind. Yeah, some of these ones that we've discussed uh, previously on the show as well, um, especially about the whole glitch of you know hacking, being hacked into your own uh, your whole device, was pretty scary. So, um, keep updating your phones. Right? Has Apple yes. made certain? Yeah that all our features are accessible? No. Uh, unfortunately, okay. that is not ever going to stop them from releasing uh, a major update, it looks like. It's just uh, the lock screen editor, that was one of their main things. Like, you will be able to change your lock screen and customize it to the nth degree and not for blind people right away because that editing process is not as, as uh, smooth as it could be, needs more accessibility work. Uh, I haven't even attempted beyond one try that resulted in mess. Uh, and Jonathan Mosin, who's much more expert than me, has uh, run into enough trouble that he's waiting until things improve before he really gets into it. Uh, so there are things like that that, uh, you know, they, they won't wait until it's accessible. They'll release it and then pick up the pieces later, it looks like. 
So I have every confidence that will be fixed and probably fairly quickly. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that you just you wish they would wait until these things were more ironed out uh, and not be in such a hurry to release. Uh, luckily for us, that uh, particular bug, you can sort of get by. All the information is available elsewhere. The lock screen thing, it's just a way of displaying handy information from various widgets and apps that you mm -hmm. can access in today view and, and various apps. So, you know, it, we're not really being blocked from anything critical. It's just it would have been a nice to have. <laughs> It's interesting because you you have to imagine, obviously, we look at it from our perspective, low vision or blind, and there's got to be so many other things going on with with other disabilities, other other things, not even necessarily disabilities, language, so many other things that must get rolled out and you find, uh-oh, uh-oh, this yep. is a problem. That, so you, you, when you think about what they have to go back to the drawing board for, uh, it's probably quite a mammoth list if you were to look right across the whole spectrum. Um, but oh, let's, yes. But let's stick with voiceover. Are there any other problems? Yeah, the main one is sort of a jumpy focus issues sort of sprinkled throughout your experience as you go around iOS. Uh, I found on the shortcut bug, if I go in, into, say, the App Store, I triple tap on the shortcut, and that brings up one of these context menus that pop up, and I get uh, you flicking over the remove app and go into my uh, update and I usually go to update and double tap, but I, I did that and I got, are you sure you want to remove the app store? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, hit no and back out of it because that's, I never want to do that. Uh, and I don't recommend it. Um, it. But as long as you flick past an option and then flick back onto it, and it, you, you, that's the way, that, at least for now, you can sort of be more sure that that is what you'll get happening if you double tap on it. So that's the workaround for that, but that's a pretty. There are serious little focused issues everywhere. Nothing's really impossible. Nothing's totally blocked, but it it is a little unstable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to be persistent. It's almost like a delay, right? That's why the explore by touch part of it is really uh, helpful. It's it's crucial. Yeah, mm -hmm. explore by touch and learn how to do that. Don't just rely on flicking to everything. Mm -hmm. The other thing yeah. with voiceover is, is for now summaries and notifications are useless. Uh, they're, sometimes they work, other times you'll just get blank and it won't read the notifications in the summary. So the, I've had to disable summaries for now and just have things delivered quietly to the notification center, uh, okay. which does require a bit of configuring, but it's, it's not hard. Uh, it's just a bit of legwork, <laughs> you know. And, well, it uh, never hurts to know more than one way to do something. And exactly. in the beginning, you know, I can I can empathize, right? Because if you're learning something fresh and new for the first time, if you're going through vision loss and just getting on a device and learning all these accessibility accessible ways of doing something, you're just you're tired. You know, you're tired yeah. of learning, it, but it's you hate very it when helpful. things don't work. And yeah, yeah. I, I remember that as my days, even just learning computer. Just thankful that whether it was screen reader, whether it was Windows, whatever it might be. There was just always more ways to do stuff, and yep. it was always rule of thumb. Make sure you know those other ways for when one won't work or doesn't apply for whatever reason. And that's on the bigger it, picture of it, if you're updating yeah. your device and yeah. it's a fresh new update and you know that there's going to be bugs, can you work around that as yeah. a full screen user? The other thing is, is the next thing we have here is changes. There are a lot of little changes to apps right. that aren't bugs at all. They're just decisions that Apple made that this will improve the overall experience for people. So the music app, uh, when you go into the player, uh, used to completely eclipse everything else on the screen. And now you can sort of get at 
what, what's around the play, the album, the uh, the playlist you're looking at, uh, is still kind of reachable despite the player being expanded. It's a bit. I, it might be a bug. I'm not sure if that's what they wanted to happen uh, necessarily. So we might see that sort of revert to normal. Uh, but it's a bit different now. I find I have I keep the player small and just triple tap on the name of the uh, the song uh, to get at other options uh, and uh, be able to do a lot of the same things. And then the TV app, if you want to get at extras and movies, uh, you can do it. it. It's just you have to sort of feel around until you find the extras button. And it has to be in landscape mode. Uh, and uh, it, it used to be to the right of video on the bottom. You'd find video and you'd, you'd feel to the right and you'd get to extras. Now it's sort of in the middle of the bottom below the title, which you can also find. And you find the extras button by feeling around for it, and then you just double tap on it and you'll get into the menu of extras. So there are little changes like that, and there are probably tons of them sprinkled all through iOS. I'm still finding stuff uh, <laughs> and looking for things. So, you know, th these things, just be aware. It might not be a bug. It might be a, a different sort of method Layout. that they've chosen. Right. Okay. How about app developers? How are they doing when it comes to being ready for iOS 16? It, it's a tough go for them. Uh, we've got, especially with the camera folks, you know, they, they had that big problem with the camera vibrating. So they've been scrambling. And uh, voice, voice Dream Reader had issues uh, at the beginning. Uh, luckily, th uh, that seems to have gotten fixed now. Uh, so it, it took uh, Winston a little bit to, to get to grips with that. Uh, and it, for a while, you couldn't take more than one picture with the camera, and they would say, can't record, and, and now that's fixed. Uh, but app developers are, are busy looking at, okay, what do they have to fix to get in line with the new way iOS behaves, and what does Apple have to fix, right? And, and, and you know, they'll fix it, and then everything works. So they're trying to avoid extra work, but they want to get the experience as good as they can, as, as fast as they can for people. But it's going to be, you know, the next month or so, going to be a little bit rocky as, as people scramble to update. So uh, just be aware of that. Okay. Uh, Mike, just 30 seconds or so. Overall, are you glad you took the plunge and updated, or how are you feeling about it? I'm pretty happy. I had a pretty smooth experience overall, you know, focus mode things, things like that. The focus jumpiness, uh, a bit of an exception, but overall it's been great. I've liked the new voices. The weather app has been nice. They've added a few things to that. Uh, they've added stuff, lots of the voices to choose from. We'll be mm -hmm. doing a segment on that coming up this month. And of course we'll have something spooky for Halloween. Uh, yeah. Lots of good stuff. We've got some tech stuff to go through too, but but we will have fun in October, don't you worry. Yes. So, well, lots it's of stuff cold, happening. so I'm really looking forward to the spooky stuff. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, my pleasure, as always. He's also got a new keyboard, so he's going to tell us about that next month. Oh, I'm still trying to yeah, figure yeah, out yeah, the connection month. between cold and scary. Cold. Let's get, you know, cuddle up in cold a blankie you? and watch scary stuff. And listen, uh, okay. I I'll leave it at that. I think, I think I'm following you. Yeah, come on. You, do. you know what I mean. People with iPhones 8 and above can update to iOS 16. Just an FYI, and Michael will be back next Thursday. Oh, it's cold. I'm scared. Coming up next, gardener Susan Kearney shares interesting facts on the flower industry's role around Thanksgiving.
I wonder if when flowers are cold, if they get scared too. Sorry, I'm just thinking. Probably. Folks. Yeah, most but likely. But they might be too busy sleeping. You know what they say? Shaking like a leaf. There you go. <laughs> Welcome I didn't back. invent this, you know, cold and scary. It's, it's, I don't take credit. Did you, you read know? it somewhere? I don't know. It's just the, it's just the vibe, Kels. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody knows. I'm I'm just the one everybody left out of the loop. I know. I never uh, know about right. cold and, and we're fear. here to keep you posted. I didn't know about being that afraid. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I mean, dark if there's a nice scary, cold dark, wind. Dark, cold, scary stairwells. Exactly. In the dark. Boy, Mike is going to get us ready for Halloween. I know it. He'll have some real <laughs> stuff. Then you'll be cold and scared or scared and cold, one or the other. It might, it might even be part of the title. That's right. Cold and scary October. A cold, scary, dark night. Then that'll be there it. You'll you be go. gone. You'll like turn. Wow. You'll put, you'll put cotton in your ears and say, Mike, I'm sorry. You're on your own with Kelly. <laughs> Uh, folks, welcome back to the program. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show. Uh, hosts of the show. And let's uh, get into our gardening talk as we welcome in Susan Kearney. Hello, I'm Susan Kearney. Join me on Kelly and Company to learn about the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound. Susan, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, good. good. As we get ready to... Move into a cold, scary month, as I've been informed today that, that you know, when there's cold, <laughs> there's fear. As I mentioned earlier, flowers shaking like a leaf. Um, but first, before that time, let's talk a little giving, receiving, yeah. and decorating for Thanksgiving. Let's mm-hmm. have a discussion about flowers. Yes. And th- this came up because of um, different things that the uh, the flower industry are, are doing to... Um, well, I, I guess be a little more environmental, um, the responsible, you know, responsible. Mm. I think so, they probably are stuck with the fact being that that's what we would expect, that if anyone was going to yeah. lead the way, it would be that industry. Yes, and, and it, it is really interest, interesting because it, some of the things that, that I learned from, from this whole, um, that making themselves a little more responsible, um, just things that we have taken for granted. Now, if you're ordering flowers um, for Thanksgiving, um, one of the things you can ask are, what flowers are in season now? So you are purchasing those flowers that are in season, and there are several reasons why you should do that, is um, you're not importing flowers, which, of course, um, cuts down on the uh, carbon footprint right? because many of the flowers have to come um, in, in by plane. They're flown in by plane. Um, so, and also, you are supporting our, um, our flower growers. And so those, those are two things. And also, it's just really nice to know what is in season and, um, and, and helping out that way also they they would last longer mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. than imported flowers so so are we to think that if again at any time of the year whether you're at mm-hmm. well let, let's let's stick with thanksgiving so i don't go saying a yeah. time or whatever let me, let me yeah. not try to confuse my own self here but <laughs> a lot of time people when they say hey you know i want to have a nice table decoration mm-hmm. at thanksgiving yeah. is it yeah. been the rule that most people go and get what they would classify as your Thanksgiving 
flowers. Um, and obviously here in Canada, we have it in early October. It's going to be different than our American friends in November. So yeah. h- is there a reflection that way, Sue, is that's how people have shopped over the years to prepare that table setting? Well, I I, I think so. But then um, I, I think people were not so... Um, um, perhaps they they wouldn't be asking. Um, right. Are these flowers local, locally grown? Um, no. I, I know no. myself. I would have never, um, even even three or four years ago, thought of asking that. But you would have stuck with what grower? you knew, or mm-hmm. f- the feel of Thanksgiving yes. time, the feel of Christmas time, yes. the feel of of Easter. Yes. Mm-hmm. And 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 not necessarily would those flowers have been grown locally from locally. Um, yes. local yes. forest flower um like growers and and we have we have them uh here in in Ontario in fact um they're you know and also many of them are greenhouse grown uh we do have greenhouses that um that uh, um grow grow our flowers so and you can ask that too um are these field grown are they um uh greenhouse grown some people don't want to support greenhouse grown um flowers or plants and the reason being is because it uses a tremendous amount of electricity and water so there, there's there's that to consider too and and i think those those questions are starting to people are asking those questions mm-hmm. and there are a lot of florists who are uh, they're, they're change they're changing um because they know they, they will have to um so that they're giving the best and uh, to uh, to their customers and also to their suppliers it's pretty true. I think that I'm noticing a lot more even on what's promoted, what's advertised, what's talked yeah. about, uh, that kind of thing. I'm throwing back to a conversation we had with you on, um, you know, the the kind of mini greenhouse you were building a while back. Yeah. I can't remember if that's what it exactly was. but Yes, it um, is. It's a little greenhouse, yes. Right, exactly. So, you know, that kind of thing, I think somehow directly correlates with this other stuff, right? With being more mm-hmm. conscientious of what you're getting, what you're buying. Yeah. Because if you're doing planting of your own, um, then you just become more cognizant and understanding that, oh, this is what pesticides are. This is what uh, mm-hmm. my plant needed. You know, I, I grew tomatoes, so I know what to look for um, when I'm at the grocery stores getting tomatoes or understanding what tomato plants I need to buy, right? It all comes back. It just yes. means we're more tapped in. Yes, yes. And, and, and we're, and I think we're, we're more, um, we're more likely to uh, uh, ask, the, ask the questions. Yeah. And, and because that we care. is when the consumer yeah, and the consumer changes um, how how things work, which is good for, good for everything, really. Yeah, and it might feel like small changes now, or mm-hmm. you know, even people listening who are like, I have no idea, right? Like the the awareness, yeah. but that's yeah. because we're not if we're not involved in it in it. That's how we feel. But like you're saying, these little things, like when you go and ask, um, um, hey you know, where does this plant come from? How was it mm-hmm. raised? And enough people ask that question, then soon you're going to notice the changes are me- being made on a supply and yeah. demand level, at, at least. Absolutely. And, and too, um, when it comes to packaging, this, this has been another... Oh, that's um, huge. Mm-hmm, for sure. It's really huge. And um, a, a lot of times 
when you um, buy a bouquet of flowers, um, they're wrapped in in, uh, like a plastic or a cell, I guess like a cellar wrap kind of thing. And and that is, of course, so that we, I think, you know, so people who can see, see see those beautiful flowers, um, you can see through that. Um, But that's a single-use plastic. And you, you can ask the florist, um, please do not use that. I don't want that on my, flo- on my flowers. I don't want to take that home um, and, and put it into um, either recycling or garbage or whatever. I don't, I don't want to do that. So give me something that, can, um, that I can either properly recycle. I don't think that stuff can. I, now, only because I have heard two different two different stories, that some of that cannot be recycled. Um, so I am, if I buy flowers, I, I definitely say, please do not wrap it in that uh, until I really know that it can be recycled. And, and still, it is a single-use plastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Which, yeah. again, as we look at so much of this, and I guess if you really look at things, Suze, over the years, you can see where they would say, hey, you know what? There is that waste. There is that stuff that we've put out mm-hmm. there. A lot of bags, a lot of plastic, a lot yeah. of, yeah. Uh, you know, not, not styrofoam. What am I looking for? But, you know, different uh, cardboard products that, yeah. you know, yeah. you stop and say, gee, if we can cut all this stuff down and mm-hmm. or, or make purpose for the stuff that you, you bring home your things in, whether you can use it in yeah. your garden for fencing or something, uh, you know, that yeah. people feel more of a, hey, I can use this. I can use this for this, mm-hmm. that, and the other thing, or it easily yeah. breaks down. Yes, ab- absolutely. I and mean, then you mentioned the styrofoam. And um, I, I know, Robbie, um, when, when I used to bring some of my arrangements... Right. I'm guilty of mm. this into, um, I used that stuff. I did not realize that it didn't break down. I have no idea. Uh, so I, I was guilty using it. I won't do, I won't use it anymore. I, I think that there are going to be products that will be brought out that you can do arrangements in that will, um, will decompose. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good thing. You know, good if it can go into, um, a compost, if you have a composter yes. or into the, uh, leaf bags, uh, something like that. And I'm sure there are people working on that. They want to. Because they want to keep the industry going, There's, you know, growers, um, suppliers, the florists, and and think of all the things we give flowers for, all the celebrations, every, right. everything. So it's it's a huge industry. It will it will change. It will, yeah. You know the the gift part altogether just requires so much plastic and throwaway things. And and we I'm thinking of gift baskets, gift boxes, just gifting in general. And right? if you ask why, right? A lot of it to make it look it's nice. Well, hold up, but isn't the flowers? Exactly. It's all for presentation and yeah. and it's because, you know, you it looks colorful, it looks good. It's it's yeah. um picturesque. But um unfortunately, that stuff exactly as you say, we crunch it up and toss it away and at the mm-hmm. end of it all yes and and it it is it, it is interesting now and and i i think that there will be um like changes and things i i know that that this year i'm i'm not going to do those arrangements no. although i have some of that stuff in my craft cupboard um i looked at it guiltily the other day uh some of that styrofoam stuff um, but I, I will probably do loose flowers in in a, a vase, just a glass mm-hmm. vase, 
Um, something but will like people the, something pay like that. for that? So see, that's what I'm concerned. Sure and if I will. were in the industry, are you yeah. going to pay the extra for that vase to be sent? And as it is now, you're sending stuff or getting a gift for presentation. Um, if mm-hmm. the industry is going to say, well, yeah, but this vase is going to cost more to send these flowers mm-hmm. this way. Do you feel people will shift fairly quickly to accepting that because people are so used to it another way? Uh, again, certainly a vase is going to have a better presentation. It's going to look nicer, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think people might. I, I, I think people are willing to, you know, to, to change. I think they are. I'm, I, I think they are willing to sort of step back and say, okay, now I don't know if you... Um, if, if you send, if you get a lot of flowers, in the, you'll have a lot of those glass vases. But you can always do your own arrangements, or you know, do a nice arrangement and give it to give it to somebody. Uh, loose flowers. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I think it, it it it's just a conversation that has um, come up, and and it is interesting because I have always, um, in fact, I just sent flowers um, to someone who. Um, lives quite a quite a way away we won't um see them and um and i also decorate with flowers over over the hall mm-hmm. all of the holidays actually so and yeah. there is I, I, products that decay and stuff even if you say well it looks yeah. nice for the delivery or or for the for the for the presentation for the gift yeah. and that's it go ahead i'm sorry well that's what i was gonna say that's the one big thing if you're you know picking up something doesn't really matter how it's packed or how it's not packed as long as it looks cute for the most part that's what people want and Susan I totally agree with you the more that we learn the more we're willing to make the difference I mean obviously at the beginning there might be some resistance but it's just like the plastic Mm -hmm. bags right if it's not available then what are you going to do store your own plastic Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you don't care if it's not available I mean other than a cost difference and a lot of time we don't notice and right now we're you know but we know hey i'm doing the right thing here when someone says oh that's good it comes in that disposable yeah Yeah. and those are great because they don't affect the land oh yeah yeah Yeah, that's right (laughs) and you're proud of yourself (laughs) so we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks yes bye take care of yourself tune into our gardening chats every second thursday right here on kelly and company Up next, this Saturday, there'll be a formal ceremony to actually kick off and initiate the first um, Cadets Week in Ontario. We learn more about this special week in about two minutes on the program. From your TV, enjoy Kelly at Company. T-Baytel IPTV customers. Guys, look for us over on channel 1112. And Westman customers, you guys can find us on channel 889. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Wherever you're listening in, though, we appreciate it, folks. Maybe you're listening at ami.ca. Awesome place to be. You can stream AMI-audio right from there. So uh, thanks a lot, wherever you're listening in around our big, wide world. Appreciate it. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. And I believe we have both our guests on. Jeff, you'll let us know. But this Saturday, we want to talk about an initiative that's going on. There's a formal ceremony to initiate the first Cadet Week in Ontario. I think that this is a a wonderful um, thing to talk about and get some more details on. So we're 
joined by uh, Tom McNeil, Executive Director of the Air Cadet League for the Ontario Provincial Committee. And uh, sorry, Jeff, did you say we have... Okay, okay, perfect. And joining us as well is Chief Petty Officer Second Class, Mackenzie Nolan. Mackenzie and Tom, thank you for coming on Kelly and Company. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Raymond. We are very excited to talk about this. So we'll start with you, Mackenzie. Do you mind telling us about... Um, this pretty giant event that you have lined up for Saturday. So first of all, when and where is it taking place? Uh, it is taking place in Queen's Park around 1 p.m. this Saturday. Okay, amazing. So want to know more about what it is. Let's talk about what you have lined up, Tom, if you don't mind um, giving us the gist. For sure. Thank you very much for uh, for having us and giving us an opportunity to uh, to speak about Ontario Cadets Week. So at uh, one o'clock on Saturday, the first of October, Her Honor um, uh, Elizabeth Dowdswell, the Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, will preside over a parade involving about 130 Sea uh, Army and Air Cadets from across Ontario, and they're coming in from as far away as uh, Iroquois Falls. In some cases, uh, we certainly have some uh, in the Greater Toronto area the Ottawa area, um, really from across the province to be representative of uh, the entire program, Sea Army and Air Cadets, as well as uh, Navy League uh, Cadets, which is a a youth program for 9- to 12-year-olds run by the Navy League of Canada. So they're going to uh, participate in a parade for the public that's there, um, and it'll be recognizing the first um, Cadets Week, which is um, um, the Ontario Legislature had passed Bill 45, which recognized the first Saturday in October, as the start of an annual Cadets Week to promote our program and the outstanding work done by more than 15,000 Sea Army and Air Cadets uh, throughout Ontario, operating in 288 different communities. So while uh, we'll have a band there, a flag party, uh, there'll be some speeches from some dignitaries, including Her Honour and uh, Lieutenant General Francis Allen, the Vice Chief of the Defence Staff, uh, along with uh, a number of other dignitaries and, of course, the cadets themselves that the public will have an opportunity to meet. This is so fun. I'm really excited that this is happening and um, that there's so much, you know, something for everybody. Like you're saying, there's a lot for the public to enjoy and get informed about what uh, cadets are and how far and wide the reach is for this program, which is fantastic. So thank you for sharing those details. Um, And and I want to talk to, you know, we want to talk to the both of you about what it means for you personally. So Mackenzie, you've received awards from National Royal Canadian Legion Cadet of the Year for 2022. So uh, to um, top Ontario Sea Cadet for 2022 as well. So there's a lot that you, I I believe, uh, benefit and feel are significant reasons for you to um, explore this day and this week. Uh, it's very important to me that we have this this kind of event because it gives us an opportunity to show other youth within the province that they have an opportunity to achieve super amazing things and have a whole bunch of really cool opportunities that they might not have anywhere else because cadets truly is a unique experience. Mm-hmm. And what are some of those opportunities? Like, how do you feel that it's helped you through life? It has helped me become a lot stronger and it's given me a lot more confidence as well as it's it's gotten me more involved in my community and I have a lot more leadership powers than I had before. And we also have a lot of kind of sports activities for people who are into those. 
kind of thing. Right. That's awesome. But there's definitely something for everybody. Yeah. I, I remember friends involving themselves and, and uh, in cadets and just the effects. It just was so tremendous for them. And I, I think what I noticed the most was the leadership piece, as you mentioned. Tom, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, well, one of the fundamental aims of, uh, of our program, Kelly, is the development of the leadership potential of the young people that are participating in it. We pride ourselves on being a peer-led program. So uh, the young people, age 12 to 18, that are participating in Sea Army and Air Cadets, uh, they learn leadership from the um, and a sense of responsibility from the time that they join. And eventually, when they're an older cadet, as would be the case with Mackenzie, they're taking on awesome uh, levels of responsibility in terms of delivering the program to other youth in the program. Um, and to watch the, the change in their confidence level over the course of their time in cadets, it's truly inspiring. It is amazing how much young people can achieve uh, when they're empowered and, and given the tools to succeed. Uh, and Mackenzie certainly an excellent example of that in our program. I think that is the such a tremendous thing when you see the change in a person. Um, and you think, you know, you'll always hear people say, well, before cadets, he was kind of shy or she was very quiet or, you know, never kind of was wishy-washy, never would, would take responsibility, you know, for something. They didn't want to be that leader. And it's amazing the change you see in people. Um, Mackenzie, what do you hope people take away from this Saturday? I hope for the most part that everybody just kind of gets to, they bring awareness to the fact that Cadets is an amazing program for people to join. But I really hope that they understand that when people join this, they really, like you said, it really makes a huge impact on their life. It'll change things. It'll change somebody for the better. And yeah. Mackenzie, when did you first feel or believe in yourself in that change? I, I don't know, obviously, what kind of, you know, were you kind of shy? Were you a very outspoken person? All, you know, like comfortable in your skin that way? Or, or and, and if not, or if so, was there a point that you realized yourself, man, I'm taking on a lot of responsibilities here. I'm first to put my hand up. Or what, what told you that cadets were having that, uh, you know, that, that effect on you? I first joined when I was 12 and in grade six, and I was definitely a very, very shy person. Anybody who you asked that knew me back then, they would say that. But I think it was about the year right before COVID started, around 2019, 2020, that I earned my first leadership position in cadets. And that was kind of my first kind of eye-opener that I had been changing because before I never would have wanted to pursue those types of leadership opportunities. But now I've been seeking them out, and that was kind of the first sign that I that this program had actually had a major effect on who I was. Wow, that's fantastic. And Tom, you've witnessed this enough times. Is there anything in particular that when you think about this or what at that certain point as the year goes on in cadets or every year where you know you're going to see or really see that effect on someone or where it's a real challenge where you know, okay, here's where we're going to see some of the people that maybe we haven't seen yet rise to that occasion, here's that opportunity. Can you tell us about something like that? Sure. Well, the way we, our program's really designed to uh, to incorporate, it's a bit of challenge by choice. So um, I like to tell people that when you feel butterflies in your stomach, that's when you are developing because we've taken you <laughs> just outside your comfort zone, like right. today's radio interview for me. Um, you take somebody a little bit outside their comfort zone, they're successful outside that comfort zone, and then they feel that thrill of success. So for everyone, um, that point of challenge might be slightly different. For some, 
it'll be the first time they're on an abseil tower and descending from it. For air cadets, it might be the first time they're in a glider, um, so, you know, as a 12-year-old and being taken up in the air. Uh, for Mackenzie, maybe it's the first time that, uh, you know, you're in a sailboat or a piece of music that you learn. But our program is so diverse in terms of the people that are involved in it and the activities that we conduct. Um, you just see it every day. And it's, it's different levels depending on the age of the cadet and each individual. But we're successful at bringing all of them along. And we pride ourselves on helping young people make a successful transition to adulthood. And when they leave the cadet program, they're, they are enabled to succeed in the cadet program or in the in society. We really contribute to that. Uh, and they certainly have a much greater propensity to volunteer and serve in their communities. Uh, and, and we know that from some of the research that we've done. I think what people will find the most amazing is how diverse and what maybe they knew 10 years ago, 20 years, 30 years back from people participating, how how many change, how wide and encompassing the, the programs are. And I think that is really something, a testament, not to mention giving people certain opportunities to do certain things, such as uh, <clears throat> radio interviews. Uh, Mackenzie, uh, Tom's doing pretty good, isn't he? Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, would you tell us where we can go to learn more about Saturday and everything pertaining to the week? For sure. So uh, for this Saturday, um, you will everything will kick off at 1 p.m. at Queen's Park in uh, Toronto, which is the Ontario Legislature. You'll also see that uh, there are other events, I should mention, throughout the province, including uh, in Ottawa at uh, uh, the City of Ottawa has an event, at uh, flag-raising event at the Heritage Building at City Hall. Uh, there's an event in Beamsville, and there's an event in uh, Barrie as well at City Hall where there are flag raisings. There really will be some events throughout the province, so it is local to kind of look those events up on uh, websites and look for local announcements. But for information about the cadet program itself, the best place to go is www.cadets.ca. You will see where all of our corps and squadrons across Canada are operating. Uh, a little more about our aims and objectives and what we try to achieve with the activities that we conduct and uh, information about how you can join, both as a youth or as an adult that might like to participate as an instructor or perhaps support the program through the Navy, Army, or Air Cadet League of Canada. We have local sponsoring organizations that help the Canadian Armed Forces deliver the program by providing resources. Uh, and we're certainly looking for uh, both youth and adults to help deliver what we think is uh, the world's greatest youth development program. Well, that sounds great, and I'm sure that people will... Uh, uptake and at least come out to learn more about the program. Thank you, Tom and Mackenzie, for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care and have fun this weekend. Tom McNeil is the Executive Director of the Air Cadet League for Ontario Provincial Committee and Chief Petty Officer Second Class Mackenzie Nolan also joined us. We're talking about the first Cadet Week in Ontario, which is really fantastic, um, marking the first Saturday to kick off the week every year. All right. Awesome. Really great. Good luck to them and uh, learn a lot. I'm sure people will. Coming up in the next hour of Kelly and Company, September 30th, 2022 marks the first, the first, excuse me, the, the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We learn more about this day next hour with Brenda Gunn, Academic Re- and Research Director at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation. John Melville, Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio is our guest for the roundtable. But up next, it's the Thursday Buzz with Bill Shackleton. He returns after this break.
second hour of Kelly and Company. Ramya Muthan, she's at the... Uh, are you at the home studio or are you at, at uh, main campus? Home. You're at home studio today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, she's at uh, main campus. Oh. <laughs> Since the other day, I kept saying you were. She's at home, at the uh-huh. home studio in Toronto, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly McDonald at the home studio in London, Ontario. Um, also, of course, want to acknowledge the, the unfortunate passing of Coolio. Uh, saw that yesterday in the news and of course so many condolences going out and uh, an artist 59 years old uh, very young and uh, losing him and uh, what a impression what a mark left on and as you saw the tributes on so terrible loss to begin with let alone the the effect and recognizing uh, the contribution to um, music and, and and his work so uh, real sad to uh, to acknowledge that have to acknowledge that on the show the passing of Coolio um, a musician that you knew much about or not really I mean only in I'm sad to say uh, I think only in context of collaborations of right. other artists that mm-hmm. I listen to and not much more than that but you know how it is Kels after pass, uh, his passing we will learn a lot more. more. Well, yeah. and and a, a lot of time when artists you stop hearing about them because everybody will say, "Oh, whatever happened to so and so," you know, especially fringe people who sure. not not necessarily fans, but who are aware. Um, but you never know about all those collaborations, where they are working, where they who they're working with and producing. So there's so many different things that happen, and like you say, uh, we'll learn we'll learn more. Bill Shackleton joining us on the program now on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. He joins us for the buzz. Hello, Billy. How are you today? Doing good, doing good. Um, so, sir, where are we starting? I know you had something left over from yesterday, but yeah. uh, some great stuff uh, to talk about today with you. Well, we're talking about music, so your segue into mine is going to going to fit in quite nicely. Awesome. Um, do the time warp again. Rocky Horror Show will travel. So I kind of find this quite interesting. The Rocky Horror Show is sort of, they've, they've got an adaptation of the original that was made in 1975. It was made into a movie and a record, an album. And the story is basically hinges on is the premise is that a couple is stumbles on this castle. And it they there's cross dressing going on. There's the there's kind of that kind of a thing where there's a maid and different partners you you can imagine some interesting experimentation going on and it was very an iconic show because it appealed to a lot of a lot of young people in that age quite and a cult. quite a cult yeah, following quite, quite a cult quite a cult um and 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 Barry Boswick of course one of the original actors in or stars is going to be with them and as as the article pointed out, it is a way for people to go crazy and act stupid, and they get dressed up in costumes and they throw confetti and burn toast and all this sort of thing. And it's just because of the pandemic. And after that, and it's because it gives people a chance to unwind. So it kind of I don't know. I mean, I've I've vowed to interest if, if, to listen to it. And maybe I will this year. I know the movie and the, they're available on iTunes, so you never know. Did you ever go to, uh, because so many people, that was their thing around Halloween, to go to a yeah. theater that was showing it and, and, and participate. Did you ever do that? Uh, no. No. But one of the original things is they did midnight screenings when it was yep. in the theater. 
Yeah, I remember hearing really, that. Which was really, yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I, I I never got over the whole idea that people were going, like you say, throwing confetti, throwing toast. Um, obviously, I don't, as someone who's never, I've never watched it. I've just watched the phenomenon of it. Um, I've always, what's that about? What's that mean? And obviously, you know, I've had you know friends and stuff that this is they swear by this, and I. It's never been something for me. Um, but Billy, I think growing up, you heard about it every year. The theaters that would, would run it and people would go and throw stuff at the screen and stuff like And all this was okay. <laughs> Even now, though, yeah. they oh, yeah. have like, uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if you call it renditions, but, you know, the the performances of, and Dave and Debbie, who come on our Accessible Gaming segment, they love yep. Yep. Rocky Horror Pictures, and they've gone, I don't know, in the last five years or so, they went to one of these, and they couldn't stop talking about it. It was just so nostalgic for them, and they loved it. It was so interactive. Meat Same Loaf thing, that throwing Meat, things. Yeah, yeah Me- Meatloaf yeah. in that, and of course, Meatloaf passed away this year, too, speaking of right. artists that, uh, that have left year? us. Yeah, uh, January. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it it's incredible the following, like I said, and they would describe it, Billy, as a, a cult following of, of yeah. this. Oh, and yeah. they start sure. doing it in October and run it then just before <laughs> Halloween. I'm not gonna lie, for someone who's not into it like myself, it does sound like a cult following. Oh, but that's what they, they <laughs> that's what it's called. And the, the the cult following of it and people who are really into it and uh who really enjoy it. Um, and, and again, I, I don't know what to speak of in enjoyment any more than, you know, some of the things probably that, that any of us get a kick out of. Uh, but back then I, and again, my era, I guess being a kid, that's all I heard about every year. So, and I'm sure Billy, you had the same thing that that's every year at Halloween, you know, it was the collection of UNICEF, uh, money for UNICEF, your costume and Rocky whore. Interesting. Oh, of course. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Here in Canada. Uh, awesome, Bill. Next thing. Next one. This is kind of a horror story. It's a frightening story. Rules governing gooning, taking trouble kids to care. Um, this comes from the Associated Press. Um, I, you probably don't know what gooning is, but what it is, it, it involves taking a child from a parent who can't control them and don't want them. So they call it transportation. So there are transportation companies that literally will take your kid, your child, under the cover of darkness, and they will kidnap the child for a price, of course, which could cost thousands of dollars. They will put them in a foster home or a care home or a boarding school. We're talking what and age uh, group, Billy? Um, well, I, I wasn't able to find... I wasn't able to find out, but the, I would think that the, if you were of age, you could they couldn't stop you. But I, I'm not yeah. sure about but the like age teenagers group. mostly, right? When yeah. I'm thinking boarding I, school and such, I think so. I would think okay. so. But it's it's really the idea. That there's 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 it isn't regulated, so there's no criminal charges. So it's like often and, and these are security, kids, actual legit security companies. Yeah, they are that well, by night yeah. or whatever you want to yeah. say do this work. Yeah, they wow. do. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, a lot of the kids, and there are thousands of them each year that do this, um, that, that end up in places where there's sexual and physical and mental abuse. And when you go to the websites, they will the people will say, well, we'll put them in a care home, a facility where they have, um, you know, 
promise they'll you'll get a new start and but they end up you know that really isn't the case and yeah. it's like it's crazy there's no what's scary only... bill and i again I, the whole thing's scary but what's scary yeah. is that's the the, the 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 ends that the parents will go to because they're, they're throwing their hands in the air saying don't know what to do with this child this is what's been recommended this child needs help and i can't get the child to go and this yeah. is what I'm going to do. I, I just, it's to me, hearing this, it's like, it's got to be a dream. And I couldn't imagine calling up and saying, you know, being in that position where I felt that was my only alternative and a company saying, no problem. We got it. Like, yeah. Like and it's, it's like something out of, out of a TV series from the seventies. It is. And it there's, does, yeah. there's no, it's not regulated. And that's the other problem. The only State Oregon reg, is, reg, is is reg, regulating it sort of where you can't they can't use blindfolds or they can't use hoods. Good grief! So they so, can still do it. They can still do it. Yeah, just the kid has to see where you're going and see their you know like okay I got the address and everything and well I guess they a time would. It's, so it's it's, it's more like wow. um, hiring security guards to make sure you end up where your parents where you're supposed you to. to be. Yep. Uh huh. Because you can't the parents can't get you in the car to go. Yeah. So, the thing that I noticed with this approach is how much um, evasion or like avoidance there is of the the issues that parents and kids are having, right? So if there's something going on and you feel like your kid's in trouble, they're saying what that they reach the end of their attempts yeah. to get the kid yeah, back right. on the right path, and then they're like, you know what, this is the only way left. But it doesn't seem like it has to ever get there. This seems like a a long leg of trauma. For just one conversation, which is, you know, you need to go to boarding school. Because all these all these ways that your parents handle things, your relationship with your parents, all this stuff is going to be affected way into the future. You know, based on what do you think is going to happen? Um, so this teen goes to this boarding school and then years later they go, Mom, Dad, you were right. I'm so glad you did this. Do you well, think... I think... Go, go ahead, Bill. I think the uh, I, mean, I hate to say it, but I think these kids come from irresponsible parents who maybe shouldn't have had kids in the first place. Well, they they, and they've the given up on that yeah. relationship with the with the child. They they like you would have to stop because I mean, it, the difference is they're having the child forcibly taken. There were a lot of kids who did not want to go to these boarding schools homes and and needed to whether the court said your child's breaking windows downtown or whether yeah. family or whomever is saying they need to go somewhere and it killed those relationships with I oh, yeah I was sent to boarding school I hated it whatever but they they I don't want to say willingly went but as a as a child while well, I'm being told by my parents they're placing me here right. these are kids that yeah dad try sending me why don't you come well, in here and try to be fair Teenagers are a handful, right? Most of the time, you know, if if there's a moment for the relationship with your parents to sever, it's usually during teenagehood. Like, that's just how it is. We go through such transition as teenagers and your parents and you can't always be on the same board. But um, it just seems like this is a harsh reality. And the fact that it's so known, like how much did yeah. they say thousands of teenagers yeah. in yeah. the U.S. Thousands. are have to go through this process like that's yeah. ridiculous can't well, we find another way people and it's, it's just unbelievable to me and then again bill you stop and think but obviously not something new because years and years these schools have been taking incorrigible yeah. children yeah. or uh, you know or children with problems that parents can't handle and but i just i can't get a grip of 
making that call. Foster systems? Yeah. Well, that was and, another one that they end up in? Foster care? Yeah, it could be. Method? could be. It wow. could be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. That, that, yeah. Is, that makes you feel definitely, Bill, out of the 1800s. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shaq, we'll talk to you uh, next week on the program. Um, Bill will be part of our, uh, our special programming tomorrow. We'll tell you how and all about that a little later on in this show. Stick around, folks. More ahead right here on Kelly and Company. When you have time, take a moment and subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast. All you have to do is use your favorite podcast platform. Do a search, Am I Audio, Kelly and Company, Kelly and Company, Am I Audio, whatever's easiest. And when you find us, please just subscribe. That way you can listen to the show in its complete form, or you can listen to the segments parceled out and made available to you. So if you have that favorite contributor you want to go and check out, you can do that by finding that segment. Or maybe you join us halfway through a segment. Go back and enjoy it via the Kelly and Company podcast. Available using your favorite podcatcher. And while you're in there, if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. I'm Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan, my co-host. Let's get to this very valuable conversation leading up to tomorrow. So tomorrow, September 30th, 2022, and it marks the second annual day for Truth and Reconciliation. The day honors the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families and communities um, all around Canada in Indigenous communities. We're going to learn more about the day and the progress that we've hopefully made since the last day for Truth and Reconciliation um, with Brenda Gunn, Academic and Research Director at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation. Brenda, thanks for coming back on Kelly and Company. Well, thank you so much for inviting me back. So the National uh, Center for Truth and Reconciliation, there's a lot going on, first of all, with uh, everything that you were planning and um, doing for for information and for everybody out there. But how are you going about recognizing the day slash week, for that matter? Yeah, so the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation actually doesn't just celebrate and recognize National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We actually engage in a full week of activities. Mm -hmm. And so starting on Monday, we had programming that we uh, created for school children. So this year, our programs aimed at age, grades one all the way through grade 12 in Sejuk. So we have spent the week supporting classrooms and teachers in a process of education and learning about the history and legacy of residential schools and celebrating Indigenous people's cultures and languages as they work to address some of the impacts of residential schools. Fantastic. Yeah. Brenda, uh, can we look a little bit back because we kind of would love that opinion and, and viewpoint of it's been one year since the federal government passed the legislation to mark September 30th as the National uh, Day for uh, Truth and Reconciliation. What, if any changes, do you feel have have transpired or, or can you point to that we should be stopping and saying, yes, yes? So... I think one of the things that we really notice here at the National Center is that the public 
generally are really engaged and people want to know more. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the research projects we participate in is the Reconciliation Barometer. And the data that came out this year shows that there's been an increase in the number of Canadians who say they've heard of residential schools. And so we are seeing progress, I think, in Canadians knowing that residential schools happened. But what we still need to do work on, I think, is deepening the learning and understanding beyond just the fact that residential schools happen, but understanding how the legacy of residential schools continues to impact Indigenous peoples and Canada generally. Now, you mentioned the the actual statistics, right? When you send out the questions, what responses are you getting? Is it all measurable, Brenda? I mean, I feel like the answer is no, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, because the the learning is so individual. And even as you say, the, the programming that you're offering for uh, grade one to grade 12 students, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, yeah. You know, the, the way that a first grader takes in um, what the date recognizes is so different from me, a 29-year-old, who would take in what the day is right. recognizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, what we see and what we've asked through the reconciliation barometer is, you know, first, have you heard of residential school and this history at all? And so more people are saying, yes, they've heard of it. But what we still see when we ask specific questions about how much do you know about the calls to action how much do you know about the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which was referred to as the framework for reconciliation in Canada? Mm-hmm. How much do you know about the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Calls for Justice? Unfortunately, people still say mostly very little. You know, there's not a lot of people that have that deeper knowledge. So that's why at the Centre we really work to do education for um you know, for all age ranges. And so beyond the school program, tomorrow we're doing a broadcast where we'll uh, have survivors and performers and really provide space to for survivors to share some of their truth and also uh, to share uh, some of the cultural aspects as well. You know, it's, it's interesting because I know... Uh, as a disabled person and people coming up and asking questions, which is very rare because people feel silly. Usually it's kids who point something because they don't understand. They see a white cane or whatever and understand our, our weakness in our society has always been, well, I know of it. I should know more. And the, the bashfulness, the embarrassed, because now I'm being asked where we've learned that people seem to pick up things by osmosis, if if something's on and they stop and say, well, that's interesting, what is this? Or they hear it a little past the headlines is what you want them to, to, to note. But it's an interesting way of making people or helping people have opportunities like tomorrow to learn in different ways in their own way. It really does add to it, doesn't it, Brenda? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we really encourage people in Canada to attend community community events and listen to survivors, hear their truth, make sure that you're getting information about Indigenous peoples in residential schools from reliable sources and from Indigenous peoples themselves. But, you know, on your point, I also want to sort of do a little plug for a survey that the NCTR is running right now to try to get a better sense of 
um, how people in Canada, what they know about residential schools and the history, and importantly, how do people want to learn more? Because we're thinking always about trying to expand our programming and what we are teaching and how we convey that information. So if people go to the NCTR website, nctr.ca, and follow the links through our Truth and Reconciliation Week 2022, you can see our survey and provide some of that feedback of what is a meaningful and accessible way for different people to learn more about Mm -hmm. uh, residential schools and the history and taking action towards reconciliation. Throughout the year, um, we're kind of, to, to most of it, on our own journeys of how we are uh, learning about Indigenous communities, about residential schools, about our own history. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of us may not even be necessarily sharing um, what we're learning, what the progress is for ourselves. But tomorrow on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, we can all take our moments um, and learnings and reflections and feel like we're all in it together. I'd say that that's a huge part of why this day is um, there, right, is, is happening. So how do you hope people and Canadians will observe the holiday? You know, uh, for me, there's sort of two aspects. One is I want to encourage people to take the opportunity to learn even if you know a lot about the history or you know a lot about Indigenous peoples, there's always more to learn. And so take this time on September 30th to learn, to remember the children who didn't make it home, to support communities in their grief and in their healing, but also the opportunity that a, a day set aside every year presents to us is it's that reminder. So tomorrow on September 30th, people can also make a commitment on what they want to do towards reconciliation for the next year. Make a commitment, make a plan. And then when National Day for Truth and Reconciliation 2023 comes along, you have an opportunity to stop and check in with yourself. How did your plan work out? In what ways were you successful in contributing to reconciliation in Canada? And where can you continue to support this work? I think it's it's such a wonderful opportunity we, we all have. There's so much out now that people can listen to those conversations, can go and, and, and learn about cultures, learn about experiences, and things that a lot of time uh, were obviously like, my gosh, this happened and, uh, you know, we can't allow that to happen again. And then we get off doing other things. So I think it's a tremendous thing when you suggest, just think what you can do. No one's asking you to change everything overnight or be a part of, you know, huge change and do big things every day. But can you be a part of change and just do some things that you know are that difference? And and a lot of time, Brenda, it, it's an attitudinal change, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, our conversation has also mentioned that none of this should be a solo journey, right? right? So as people are engaging in learning, share that information with other people, right? And so we need to make sure that this work of reconciliation does not fall to Indigenous peoples and Indigenous peoples' organizations, right? Reconciliation 
is the work of all of Canada. And so I think, you know, having that time to, um, tomorrow on national day for truth and reconciliation is, is that moment in time where we can come together in solidarity, where we'll see, uh, walks we'll see gatherings of people but then you need to use that inspiration to mm-hmm. keep you going every day of the year yeah um on the show when we talk to um indigenous uh, people who are you know who've put out initiatives of any kind right whether it be business endeavors or art based or media um and uh accessibility initiatives just anything at all there's something deeper to the understanding of the significance of that the significance of um and intention and depth of why we need to continue recognizing and celebrating these initiatives um by indigenous peoples cuz you know, before that, before understanding any of it, you might not have even recognized that to be a special thing. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, um, part of the learning that many Canadians have to engage in is the process of unlearning, right? Mm -hmm. And so recognizing, you know, I think we're all sharing our ages now. I'm in my 40s. You know, when I think about what I learned in grade school and through Mm -hmm. schools about Indigenous peoples, and what I heard is not very accurate, right? So there's processes of unlearning. And then there's also processes of just being a good ally, which means making sure that, you know, as part of just what you do in life, Support a range of different peoples and perspectives. So make sure that you're following, um, you know, new sources that uh, when you're learning about Indigenous matters, that you're learning about them from Indigenous peoples as well. And so just really recognizing it's important to, um, as much as possible, particularly when we're talking about reconciliation, you know, spend the time and learn from Indigenous peoples learn their stories, learn their truth, and then share those around. Absolutely. Uh, Brenda, this has been such a significant um, moment of the show for us. Thank you so much for taking the time and bringing us these insights. Thanks again for extending the invitation and, and letting me share some of my thoughts and ideas with your audience. Absolutely. Of course. Brenda Gunn is the Academic and Research Director at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, joining us to talk about the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation falling on uh, 2022, September 30th, and how we can show our support as Canadians to um, continue our learnings. And again, that lesson of let's start unlearning some of the things that we've learned. It's actually, in a lot of cases, a good thing, folks. Uh, We'll step aside for a moment. Coming up next, our guest for this week's roundtable conversation is John Melville, Vice President of Content Development uh, Content and Development and Programming at AMI for AMI TV and Audio. We'll be right back. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually oval. 
Just say yeah, it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, so yeah, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Well, we roll it all out again, folks. As we get into some uh, conversation here, we roundtable it. Uh, welcome back to the program, Rummy Muth and Kelly McDonald, and we have an open conversation on a variety of topics that I've grabbed up today for us. Today, we welcome John Melville, Vice President of Content and Development and Programming uh, for AMI TV and Audio. John, welcome. Hi, Kelly. How are you doing, Ramia? Nice to be here. Thank you. Hey. Always love having you on with us for the roundtable. Okay, Rum, we're going to start off with your favorite, a uh, little baseball talk. Um, of, course. of course. Aaron Judge. John, you see him hit that home run yet? Have you seen any pl- tape of it? You know what, Kelly? I haven't, and I should be watching baseball at this time of year. You know, I, I usually did, but I have not seen that yet. So Roger Maris's son was at uh, Rogers Center last night when this uh, uh, tying of uh, his father's record of uh, 61 home runs in a season, which was set in 1961, uh, New York Yankee uh, great uh, Roger Maris. Um, this is a, a real incredible feat by a guy that really, when you look at the way Aaron Judge handles himself, is the really great face of, of that team. Wonderful, uh, not so wonderful for Tim Mazer, the Blue Jay pitcher who gave up this uh, historic home run, uh, and not so well for the fan that tried to catch the ball and it clanked off his glove and fell into the bullpen because they estimate that uh, that fellow would have lost out on possibly $500,000, which is what they figure uh, Vegas does, that that ball would have been worth when they came to, eh, sir, we, you know, Aaron Judge would like that ball. Well, it'll cost you. <laughs> Uh, what would you do, John? Would you sell the ball? Would you want to keep it for your own collection? Uh, I would keep it. I would keep really? it. Um, I, there's I'm, no money, a, no amount. They could say uh, John Melville. Well, I wouldn't say there's no amount, but uh, I'd like to at least enjoy it for a while. I, I got to confess, Kelly, I'm a bit of a hoarder. Uh, I collect things. <laughs> uh, I collect good things, so I, you know, I, I mean, I do try and keep the garbage pails empty. But uh, there is a lot of stuff in my little room here, um, both sports memorabilia. Um, I actually have a, a penchant for you know the little pins that people get. Um, yes, I like those things too but wow. um uh yeah i actually still have it's probably not worth anything but i have the original ticket from when the uh, sky dome first opened the oh, first wow. event that was on there and uh i've got a little bit of other baseball memorabilia and stuff but not, nothing of real value but for me it's about having having at the stuff around me you know and and the the, the history that it that it, it gives off right uh i would keep it what was the first event was it a game or was it a concert? Uh, well, I thought it was a concert, wasn't it? They was, yeah. So they had the grand opening event, which was when everybody just went in and, hey, we're showing off. The, and by the way, I should say it was originally called the Sky Dome. It's now called the Rogers Centre. So this is what we're talking about, the building in Toronto uh, with the retractable roof. So they opened the roof on that event. And as you may recall, it rained that night, right? So yes. it's one of the only times that they actually opened the roof and kept it open and everybody got soaked because it was the opening event, right? And then the first game was the Blue Jays the following day, I think, and that's where the ticket was from. And that, that rained, too, and they had to close it, and it jammed. Because yeah, they had it was some raining problems. on home plate. That's right, yes. They, they had some problems back in the day. But for its time, I mean, it was, it was an oh. amazing piece of engineering. And now... I mean, I got to give credit to Rogers, or actually Ted Rogers, uh, who bought it and and you know saw the potential. I understand actually they're going to be uh, putting a significant amount of money into uh, fixing the sight lines, putting in new seats, etc. In the next little while. Yeah, 
They're they're going to very much make it into a baseball stadium, renovating it over the next few years uh, with different stages uh, as as they do it. Um, my sister and I were part of the 120 people who actually sent in for the naming of the place. We actually picked Sky Dome, and it was 120 of us that had picked Sky Dome, and one of us got to be able to have lifetime tickets, apparently. I have no idea if wow. Roger still honors that or whatever, but they could go to whatever. <laughs> One of the bunch. Rum, what would it take, being a non-sports fan, you're sitting out there, someone's dragged you to the game, and this ball comes over and hits you in the forehead, but you're able to bring your hand up and catch it. Um, and then you start sure. hearing, oh, my goodness, she got it. Oh, my. This special ball. What would it take for you to sell it back to Aaron Judge when he says, oh, excuse me, ma'am, I'd like that ball. That's my... What would it take? For a reasonable price, I'm willing to sell it. No, no, no. I, I want to know any... the reasonable price. I am not even going to ask John what his uh, <laughs> well, scam what, price would be. I would have to do a lot more research to answer this question fairly. You know, like what would a reasonable price be for five hundred thousand? Is what the value? I heard a few days ago. One million, Jeffy says. See, you're already trying to scam Jeffy, me, Kels. Jeffy. Was it a million? Now they moved it up to. I think um, the next one. I, the next one's supposed to be uh, two and a half million. Yeah, when that's he what gets they 62. say. But it's also the Yankees, right? So two and a half. Somebody's going to pay a good penny. Sold. Yeah, for the next one, but that you know. But a if you level. had this one, Amuthan, seriously. Yeah, whatever Jeffy said. A million. A million. Why like, would you have ask to for be... a million and a half? It's you. Sure. I mean, I would go for whatever the baseline price should be based on, you know, precedence and then add a little extra because, yeah, of course I'd ask for more because it was a a low vision moment and it was awesome. You know what I mean? That comes with a story, this catch. But you see what's happening here, right? The longer you wait, Remy, uh, the the price keeps going up. So just hold on and and they'll keep bidding. Oh, well, if 500 is not enough, what would, you know, a million, a million five, right? You just wait around. exactly what's going on right right now. And Romeo you know? would say, I- I'm cold, so I'm scared, it's so it's going to be cost you more. It's the pressure. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for the pressure. I know I can get a ton of money off of this. Oh, you could. And and in all fairness, right, John, you look at it and say, well, when Aaron Judge gets his new contract, he'll be able, that'll be chump change for you, Rum. Mm-hmm. Um, Pricey. Senior citizens in Victoria staged a rally outside a vacant high school, uh, oh, sorry, high school field to call for more access to green spaces in their neighborhood. Uh, 85-year-old Ann Duggan, who lives in a, a nearby long-term uh, care residence, says the empty field could easily become an area for seniors to exercise, socialize, and appreciate the environment. We have a very diverse group of very diverse group of people here and ages well well in their 90s who are here in their chairs today. It's uh, just wonderful to see everyone participating and sharing in the fun of developing this. Duggan was one of about 100 seniors who attended the rally, uh, the rally with many uh, holding placards up, uh, calling for development of an elder-friendly park. John, can you think of a nearby area, a park or something like that, or a few that, when you really stop to think about it, could be lent to something like this? Around yeah, for you. sure. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we actually have a school down the street that hasn't been inhabited for about four years, and the, the entire school and the lot is just sitting there. And uh, there are some baseball games that uh, some, some house league baseball that takes place every now and again, but 90% of the time the field is, is, is empty. And then there's another park I know of where 
there it, it also sits empty a lot too um and in both those cases they're in downtown relative areas right like here i'm in brockville so uh it, there, there's people all around it that could definitely be making use of that space um but the gates are locked unless somebody's got the key, right? Mm. It's really interesting because you think of the upkeep of places. Well, why are you upkeeping somewhere that isn't really being used? If you're going to do that, mow the lawns at least and things, why not use it? And Ramya, I, I heard this and I got thinking about so many different things that as as people's health becomes that concern as you get older. But then I think... Yeah, but when you're younger, you know, if you have a place to go that you feel comfortable, that you can kick around and and be safe. And, of course, I think of the accessible parks that we're hearing more and more Mm -hmm. about, but yet they're far and few between. And yet we talk about a suggestion for seniors and a suggestion of, well, why why can't we do more? I get it costs money to put the accessible features in. It costs money, and sometimes there's this attitude of, well, there's not enough people. It's better to put money and support and promotion into something that's going to affect more of us, you know, that all of us can use. But honestly, that's not the point at all, right? The intention behind this is a safe space, at least for me. That's what I'm hearing. It's to create the safe and um, relaxing space for seniors where they don't have to worry if this place is accommodating, if it's welcoming, you know, all of this stuff is just built into the fact that you're catering to this specific community. And yeah, I I don't even think it's... I don't think of just parks when I think of this conversation. No. I think of the the hubs, the CNIB hubs, and all these other relaxed spaces that you can walk into as a person with a disability and say, yeah, I'm I'm not worrying about entering this place. I know that when I walk in, people... Um, acknowledge my accommodations or my the, the the support that I might need and just to be able to walk around and just do what you have to do it, so you- it's totally different from just entering I don't know any playground or a library or a new space you have to there's a of um a moment of transition right a period of transition through those places I can hear people with disabilities saying, well, hold on, do I need my own park? I can use the streets, I can walk there, and and agreed. But what made me think about this in that sense of, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, you may have a neighborhood that's friendly for walking, you may have a park nearby, and you just go through there and stroll or, or, or ride a bike if you're able to or what have you. I think it's the part when the seniors say, socialize. Mm-hmm. Feel comfortable, as you just said, in that space that puts the value on a space like that. Because at first I had to stop and say, I, I understand that, you know, crossing streets or, or certain things. Maybe some of the seniors are looking for something a little different. And, and I thought, you know, maybe it's not something that people from the disability community or what other communities may want a similar space or available space to go and utilize. And I know we always got to think about abuse of of whatever facilities are there and what kinds of things, but we can't live our world worrying about the clown that's going to go in there and do stuff at nighttime and take away something from a hundred people at this gathering saying, we would like this and this is why. Right. Yeah. Um, go ahead, John. Oh, sorry. No, I, I just wanted to jump in because, uh, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking, Kelly, you know, the there are children's parks, you know, that they put a playground equipment for. Yes. You know, and it, I mean, by my experience and having seen those, it's well-maintained, right? And 
it used to, I think there was vandalism back in the day and occasionally you get kids that you know party at night there but generally speaking those places are pretty immaculate and and just to to tie it back to the baseball thing we were talking about earlier you remember in field of dreams if you build it they will come right mm-hmm. and if you create the opportunity you know rather than just sitting looking at the empty field wondering if seniors can get to it or not but make it accessible open the gates and watch what happens yeah well and when you talk about empty schools and places like that where you might even be able to start utilizing that as a place where, you know, maybe a CNIB does rent a space for a hub, but outside you have a different socializing place as you look at it being different. And we t- heard about this after the pandemic, so many people re-envisioning downtown areas and that, or having space for people to go and sit outside instead of sitting inside because of the concerns of the pandemic. But people saying, you know what? It's really nice being able to sit out here in the shade of the buildings and that, and have this this area in the middle of downtown that I can do that, that I don't have to go way into a park to do it, but uh, have, have some, some area on a lot or a street. Rum, did you want to say something else? No, I, I think I'm, I'm good to wrap on this, but I'm just saying it's wonderful to have these uh, catered places where you don't have to stress, where you feel like the intention is already there for a relaxed space so that you can... Um, go in without having to worry because I think that there's always some small bit of us that worries when we try something new, walk into a new space, and as you said, the going through the pandemic and coming out the other end, there's uh, a lot of that anxiety anyway. A lot of people feel like they're going to be a bother, and by asking for it, oh well, maybe I better you know hold off and ask for that silver bullet when we really need it and instead of saying, no, just ask for a little bit now. Put the put the thought out there. Um, experts say high inflation and a strong U.S. dollar will weigh heavily on Canadian snowbirds' travel decisions this winter. As the cold months approach, Snowbird Advisor President Stephen Fine says some snowbirds are opting for a shorter travel period or they're eyeing different destinations due to the rising cost of everything combined with a weak Canadian dollar. Fine says snowbirds will have a lot more to consider this coming winter as the price of accommodations, groceries and dining out have all risen. He adds snowbirds may opt for more cost-effective destinations outside the U.S., including Mexico, Costa Rica and Belize, and they may do a a four-month stay rather than the usual six. The loonie is trading this morning at less than 72.5 cents U.S. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. I like how she threw that right on the end there, John. John, Florida's dealing with a lot. Uh, many will probably go there to check out their properties, the snowbirds that are here in Canada, since there are so many that, that, that go there. Um, but you see this as that big concern. Where do you think would be another place, or uh, I know in the wintertime a lot of people go to Arizona. Can you see another place outside of the U.S. that people, snowbirds, may start thinking about? Uh, possibly. Um, I mean, yes, there's the west coast of, uh, or outside the U.S., no, because I was thinking California, but that's still in the U.S., but uh, uh, there's lots of islands, uh, you know, Caribbean and whatnot, but I think currency exchange is going to be pretty tricky wherever you mm. go because everything is pegged to the U.S. dollar. Um, I mean, the pound is in crisis right now in the U.K. because yes. of some of the, the recent changes there. But what I was thinking as as I was listening to that is, you know, I think during the pandemic there were – Uh, Some people that have, you know, gone to places like Vancouver Island, you know, um, we have some temperate parts in Canada. It's not Florida, 
but you're you're still in Canada and you can get away from the snow and ice you know it's a bit of rain instead right um but i don't know i mean i, I don't know you know the world is a small place when we get into these financial situations uh inflation and low dollar etc um I, i'm not sure if it would make too much of a difference you know going to mexico and then you have maybe it's not as safe or you know it's not as familiar a lot of snowbirds like to drive to florida right mm -hmm. or to, to arizona so that's not an option to go offshore right so that's a tricky question i think what she was saying though about the shorter term you know maybe the compromise right maybe you can't go for as long but you can still go may cost about the same as what it used to cost, but at least you're still in a familiar place. Yeah, and that's really what it calls for. Uh, Ramya, you were out west, and a lot of people say, Victoria, those places are where a lot of people retire. Do you think a lot of people will start checking this out, as John was mentioning, as maybe that place they go to for their winter? Or is maybe. it just not enough? I was going to say maybe, but isn't weather a, a big part of what you do and where you go in the winter? Like, I'm not sure if anywhere in Canada is the best. Comparison? Compare, yeah. Like, yeah. oh, did, let's go from freezing to mildish. <laughs> awesome uh, john of course wonderful to have you on board with us really appreciate whenever you get a chance to join us here on the round table thank you so much guys it's been a lot of fun today have a great weekend too we'll talk to you, you soon john take care of yourself uh today's guest has been john melville vice president of content development and programming for ami tv and ami audio We'll step aside for a moment. I've got a couple of things, programming notes for you, uh, telling you a little bit about what we're doing on our show, what the folks over at AMI-TV have in store for you, and I'll give you a, a little sneak preview of Monday's show since tomorrow uh, we'll be having a very special show with content that uh, uh, very much will look at the, uh, the special day. All that we'll talk about after this. mentioned check out the kelly and company podcast subscribe using your favorite podcatcher you can go back and check out some of the segments from this show or any show you can listen to the complete show as well Ramya, any particular segment from today you want to give a shout out to lots of great conversation about about climate change and about changes in our own uh backyards and gardens with susan kearney today you know the the things that we, we get to sometimes really do surprise me. Um, and we were talking about the flower industry, specifically, you know, flowers around Thanksgiving and um, what may look different to you if you're wanting to be more environmentally conscious. And that uh, led to a lot of different spinoffs of that conversation. So it was enjoyable and informative. I actually really enjoyed our uh, our Cadet Week talk with Tom and Mackenzie, because what I found so cool was thinking about how many people have actually had that opportunity to take part and the change that you see in them. And I'm sure there's so many listeners out there who, who had friends that were doing cadets over the years that would say the same, that would say like, wow, um, you know, that is so true when they spoke of that during the segment. Check it out via the Kelly & Company podcast, and uh, you can uh, listen to that at your leisure. Simply subscribe by doing that search. Want to talk a little bit about um, tomorrow. First of all, 
Uh, September 30th, 2022, marks, of course, the uh, the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Um, the day honors uh, the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families, their and their communities. Um, we're going to, uh, tomorrow, step aside on AMI-TV where you get that opportunity for as they alter from their, their programming uh, to get into the discussions as they have a program about all those children who have never made it home. You can tune in at 1 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV for this show, so please check it out. It's an incredible program that recognizes residential school survivors. And then, folks, please, on that Wednesday that live one hour special is over at two get back over here to ami audio uh ramya we've got a show that we have compiled together and we're going to do our own uh recognition uh at the second um national Re- uh, truth and reconciliation day right here on kelly and company for sure, Kels. And this is reflecting on conversations and learnings for us from the last year or so. It in, um, includes article talks that we've had with Billy on the Buzz with Bill. It also includes some of the more recent conversations like the one we had today and yesterday about the medallion, that description of this keepsake, um, which is a collaboration between the Canadian Mint, the Royal Canadian Mint, and um, the Center for Truth and Reconciliation. That was fantastic. Oh, man, really great. His description, too, of uh, the medallion is wonderful. Oh, yeah. I loved that a lot. And, you know, as as he described the um, actual keepsake, uh, what dawned on me was the amount of thought that went into the visuals, uh, the collaborations, the artistry, uh, the size of the thing, you know, how much they can portray on there and the poetic ness of all of it was really just amazing to go through. And then we also, yeah. And then we also talked to uh, Young Wang, you know, a recent monthly freelance journalist who uh, came up with a lot of her own thoughts and perspectives that she shared on the show that we will review um, mm. or revisit tomorrow. You, you know, one of our conversations we're going to have, Karen McGee uh, led us in a discussion as she came on, our MA content development specialist, and she shared a story about a Cree woman who connected with her culture through sign language. We'll talk a bit about that and hear what that conversation was like as well because it was really tremendous. I, I really felt that was wonderful. And, of course, Rum, I'm so into the arts and always find any way of learning about Whatever I, whatever subject is out there via the arts, uh, mm-hmm. June was National Indigenous History Month, and Imagine Native Film and Media Arts Programming uh, Manager Caitlin um, Tomaselli, who joined us on the show to share what audience could expect at their annual festival. So we'll relive that and get a rundown on what kinds of things they had going on as we look at the uh, second day uh, for uh, Truth and Reconciliation, of course, national event across our country. Rum, we look forward to all this tomorrow. Absolutely, Kels. And we'll kick all of that off, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow at 2 p.m. right here on the program. And just to give you a quick tease about Monday's show, uh, we'll tell you that Brock will be here, of course, with sports. Michael Babcock will be here uh, as he looks at Amazon's event from this week uh, during our tech conversation. Arthur Shepard, she's going to bring her podcast, her video podcast, all the, the things that they're talking about on Tripping on Air, and uh, she's going to spill the goods on what it's like to live with MS. So we'll be learning about the podcast when she joins us on the program. Kim Hubby is here, of course, with Life in Dawson City. And 
and we have our CNIB Smart Life segment, and we'll visit with Danielle McLaughlin. Have a wonderful uh, night, folks. We're back here tomorrow, beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern, right here on AMI-audio. One of the most wonderful things that I've discovered being the host of a program is having that platform when we need it. We have had so many opportunities to talk about different things that are out there. And at the same time, as we always say, we get to learn, whether it's through a guest, maybe an item that we are reading and discussing in a roundtable or just some conversation. You know, sometimes I learn stuff just by news gathering and looking at things that are out there and reading them and educating myself. It's that forced way of doing it. And I know sometimes we have to say, gee, do you have to be paid to be forced to go learn something? And of course not, but I do have that privilege. But on top of that, that with that privilege comes taking it in, trying to learn and being very open to some of the opinions that I may formulate when people I'm talking to may totally change my mind or stop me and say, whoa, 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 hold it, hold it. Now let me fill you in and tell you how it is. And that may sway me or make firm my, my viewpoint. Um, it is wonderful to have that platform and be able to do that, but also that responsibility of saying, okay, when we sit back and say, this particular day is coming up, truth and reconciliation, what are we going to do? And we gather together the things that we have had to learn, knowing there's so much more and so much more to listen to out there, and that privilege definitely is all ours. I have learned for me, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I'll go back to when I was just doing production work, recording uh, volunteer readers back in my first day at AMI. And I love that so much information was being shared with me via these articles, these items people were reading to me, and I could just soak it up and learn so much. Yeah. Uh, then... It was just nice to know, be in the know, to be able to carry on a conversation with someone and at least be a little informed or at least be able to follow what they were saying. Uh, just one of the wonderful things about the work we get to do and being able to roll out this show every day. And, and, and again, I go back to something I repeat all the time, being in class. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.